Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So we're still in Jeremiah 1 this morning. If you have your Bibles here, really want to encourage you, make this the year of the Bible uh, for your own life. Go get a Bible um, and just get some pencils and just color it in. Just do whatever you need to do. Make notes, write things down, get this in your spirit. Um, But in Jeremiah 1, we look at this initial conversation that God has with Jeremiah. And the reason why we're still in Jeremiah 1 three weeks later is because there's just so much in it for our lives. There's so many foundational things that we see here that I want to uh, encourage you with today is God calls Jeremiah and then speaks his identity over him, begins to talk into his soul. You know, the Bible talks about how deep cries out unto deep. You know, we hear a lot of things. We see a lot of things on a daily basis on social media and on all the things that we read and on TV and and on Netflix and whatever we're watching on YouTube. We get so much information. In fact, no generation has had access to the kind of information that we have today. Yet there's still a kind of speaking where God speaks not to your mind, but to your heart. Where God delivers something that's so true, that's, that resonates in, in, in the cavities of your heart as well as in eternity. It's almost like eternity is brought home to your own heart. And in that moment, you recognize this is true. That's what is described as a revelation. It's a revealing of knowledge. That's not something that you could have figured out just by watching a YouTube video. You know, when Peter had the revelation of Jesus, Jesus says to him, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so there comes a moment where each of us get to stand before God as individuals, and we take who we are, and we say, God, here I am. And in that moment, if you are open to the voice of God, He can say something to your heart that is far more, that will do far more in your life than any bit of study that you could ever do, than any bit of theory, any bit of philosophy, any book you could ever read. When God speaks directly to your heart and it resonates, it connects, it changes, it produces something. And this is what God does with Jeremiah. He speaks the truth of his identity over him. And in that same way, God speaks to you. He speaks to my heart we saw last week how God says to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, last week's message was basically about breaking up this verse into three parts, because he says to, Jer- to Jeremiah, before you were even formed, I knew you. Before you were formed, I knew you. So many times we want to go to God and say, this is who I am, and this is what I want to do, and God says, you're late to the conversation. I've actually had this conversation. There's, a, there's things that have been said about you before you were even around to be a part of it. And so rather than trying to create ourselves or invent ourselves, we get to sit back and allow God to speak to us about who we are rather than try to tell him who we are. He says, before you were formed, I knew you. I consecrated you. You were set apart. There's something important that God wants to do with your life. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And we looked at how that word appointed is the word Nathan, which is to be given away. You were given away before you were born. And either you're going to participate in the giving or you're going to, in defiance, stand against it, which is like trying to defy gravity. We end up with bruises and broken bones. The Message Bible says it this way in Jeremiah 1.5. says, before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. A prophet to the nations. That's what I had in mind for you. So that's this amazing scripture we looked at last week. And today what I want to look at 
in this message called, What Do You See? I want to look at what Jeremiah's response was. Because if you're like me, imagine if you just get an audience physically with God or in a vision, you're standing before him and he looks at you and he says, before you were formed, I knew you and I consecrated you and I appointed you. You'll be a prophet to the nations. I don't know about you, but I'd be pumped. Like my next question is, which nation, God? Send me, God. I'm ready. I'm going. I'm, you know, here I am. But Jeremiah is a little bit more honest than that. Jeremiah's first response isn't, I'm so pumped for this. His response is, but are you sure? Are you sure you got the right, right guy? Are you sure that you, I'm the one that you wanted to call? You know, we always have this suspicion that the people that God called in the Bible weren't quite human like us. You know, we read about Moses, and we read about David, and we read about, we read about in the New Testament about Peter and Paul and John and all these guys, and we think to ourselves, yeah, they were superstars. Like, those are the kinds of guys that I could never be in. Yes, I know that they say they were imperfect and they had flaws, but look at their lives. Surely they weren't just human like the rest of us. You know, that, that's just a, a whole nother level. They never had any doubts. They walked around accomplishing miraculous feats. You know, they turned cities upside down before they had their mid-morning tea. You're like, I'm just struggling to get through life. I just want to make it to the end of January 2020. If I can do that, I'll be great. Never, never mind living like these guys did. And when you hear pastors and preachers and even the Bible itself saying things like, God has called you to, that every individual in this place, no matter how old or young, no matter how gifted you might feel or how much you might struggle, when you hear the message that God has called you to, you know, we often just in dismiss this, that as an endearing sentiment. Like, oh, thanks for the vote of confidence, pastor. That's so awesome. I'm so glad you believe in me. So where's my car keys? I've got to, you know, I've got to go pick up some stuff. From. You know, that's, that's how we, we just dismiss it. Oh, it's very nice. I'm glad that you say that. But deep down, we just aren't quite convinced that we are included in this story, that we can be and have been called to be a part of this story. Kind of like, have you ever received a reluctant invite to a party? Anybody ever got one of those? And you know, when you're hanging out with a friend and like a mutual acquaintance arrives and they're like, oh, so great to see you. It's so amazing. Oh, I can't wait for the party Saturday. It's going to be so awesome. This is what I've ordered. This is, and they're like, oh, I've been waiting for the party for weeks. It's going to be so amazing. And then they remember that you're there. And they kind of look over you like, yeah, oh yeah, you can, you, what are you doing? You can come as well. You know, it's like this reluctant last minute invite. And you're like, uh, I don't know. And if you actually, you know, have no life and you show up, they're like, ah, oh, you came. You know, so weird that you, we, you know, we were just being polite, really. And for a lot of people, that's the way they feel concerning God's calling on their lives. I don't know if I'm actually meant for the party if these guys were just inviting me, if the guys at Anchor were just like, everybody's gonna be in the room, so just say everyone's invited, but really what they mean is just some people. In general, as people, we do not go where we're not wanted. And that's the problem with this kind of, of belief. We, we feel this way when we hear about the life of Jeremiah and David and Peter and Paul and John. Like, I don't know if that's my crew. If they were having a party here in Joburg today, I don't know if I'd be invited. And I don't know if I would want to go where I'm not really wanted. Until you begin to look at the specifics of their lives. 
until you begin to look at, at the fact that they were real people. And this is what I love about Jeremiah, so honest about his struggle. He struggled with self-doubt, personal limitations, feelings of unworthiness, circumstantial issues, taking criticism from people and, and having people speak badly about him. He struggled with those things and he spoke to God about them. All the things that you and I have so often struggled with. It's so refreshing to see Jeremiah's honesty here. No sweeping statement of courage and faith. That's why I love the Bible. It's not like, yes, Lord. And, and I said, and I replied, yes, Lord. Unto the nation you send me, I shall go. And none of that. This is what he says in verse six. Then I said, ah, Lord God. I love that. I love that there's an ah before the Lord God there. He could have just gone, Lord God. But he goes, ah. Lord God, behold, he's like, look at me. I do not know how to speak. Like he's, I mean, and, and I think that would catch most people when God's like, you're a prophet to the nations. You know, they did a study a while back that showed that the number one phobia within humanity is the fear of public speaking. It ranked number one. Second is death. So literally people would rather die than get up and speak in public, Right? And I'm pretty sure Jeremiah was around there somewhere. He's like, ah, God, like, I don't know. I, can't, I don't know how to speak. And then he goes, for I'm only a youth. I'm just a boy. Most scholars believe that Jeremiah was about 17 years old at the time that God called him. Come on, I was a youth pastor for, for, for 10 years and love youth ministry and, and love young people, love the potential of young people. But as you get older, isn't it amazing how you just begin to feel more and more removed from whatever is going on in their lives, from the cultures and the fashions and the, and the things. And I remember just loving being part of it. Like back when I was younger, how many of you remember Boys of London? Those are jeans in case you don't know. So it's like baggy, proper baggy jeans. They were only bought from one place in Joburg. It was a Colton Center at a place called Third Base. Right at the top of Colton Center. I sent my mom there twice. You know why twice? Because the first time she came back, she brought black jeans with yellow stitching, and I was not going to be laughed out of school. Sent her back to get me white stitching, all right? So that's why I turned out to be such a well-rounded individual today. But you needed boys of London with, you know, your Nike sneakers and a plain white T-shirt. That was the vibe, right? That's what I wore every single weekend. And so as you get older, you realize, you know, the things that were cool when you were younger are absolutely no longer cool. And then things that were absolutely uncool are now cool. So you walk through the mall. And if you've walked through a mall recently and seen a group of teenagers, baggy sweatpants is a thing. Too short, little baggy sweatpants. Like when did sweatpants become something that you wear out in public, right? And then like no socks with shoes, baggy kind of ugly striped shirts, and like maybe a backwards cap or something else going on, right? Like, and that's like, what? And, and I, know, I know all of us, like older, slightly older people, we walk past and we're thinking, what has come of this generation? What will the future look like when these guys come into power? You know? God help us. And we can so quickly think that this generation is good for nothing. Now imagine for a minute, God walking through the mall and walking up to one of those groups and pointing at one of those 
young guys with some sweatpants and a stripy shirt and a backwards cap. I mean, I greeted a, a teenager that visit here, visited here last week. I couldn't even get them to make eye contact with me, never mind, you know, be a prophet to the nations, you know. God walks up to a young guy like that, points at him. He says, I don't care what you're wearing. I don't care what phase of life you're in. I don't care what your fashion is. Before you were formed, I knew you. I'm the one who put you together, and I consecrated you. I've got holy plans for your life. I've got an important role for you to fulfill. I set you apart. I gave you away as a prophet to the nations. Imagine God doing that. This is the picture that we have here as he approaches Jeremiah, which tells me two things. Number one, we must never underestimate what God can do through the life of a teenager. Amen. And all the parents of teenagers were like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. <laughs> but number two, God clearly isn't limited by what you think you're capable of. He clearly isn't limited by whatever you perceive to be your personal limitations. Come on, how many of us have done that? I'm not adequate, God. I'm not capable, God. This is, this is not quite my thing, you know. And, and the truth is, is that we're actually quite well-versed in these excuses. We have them ready-made. We've been practicing them for years. The reason why we're well-versed well in these excuses is because we've so often heard the call of God in our lives, but knowing that it might cost us something to say yes, instead we point to our own inadequacy, the excuse of inadequacy. Hey, you know, God, I'm just too young, I think. I need some more experience, maybe some more training, maybe, maybe later on I'll try it. Hey, God, I'm too old. Like, I've been around a lot, and I'm just in a phase where this is what's happening in my life, so I can't really get involved right now. Hey, God, I, you know, I'm struggling with a few things, and when I sort myself out, then I'll come, and, and then, I'll, then I'll be a part of it maybe later. Well, I'm too busy. I'm just in a busy phase. I've got young kids, or I've got a, a young business, or, or I'm just trying to make it to that next step in my career. And, and so we come up with all these things. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm just a housewife. I don't have time. I have so much going on right now. It's too much for me. And the truth is that you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Life in general is too much for us. Come on, if we're honest here this morning, just getting by day by day, we're not smart enough. We don't have enough energy. We don't con concentrate adequately. We're apathetic. We're lazy. Some of us slouch. <laughs> you know, we're not like this all the time. We do have like spurts of love and moments of inspiration and, and, and daring faith, but we quickly go back to just a routine of inadequacy. I, I can't do that, God. That's not what I want to do right now. So we are right. And Jeremiah knows this as well. He knows it about his own heart. He knows it about the people that he's speaking to. In Jeremiah 17 verse 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, that's why as a church, we're not just here to give you a pep talk. We're not here to offer you some self-help tips. Because it doesn't matter how you dress that up. It doesn't matter what you do to clean up on the outside. It doesn't matter how you modify your behavior. Your issue is not on the outside. 
It's a heart that's desperately sick, needs to be renewed, saved, delivered, and refired for the purposes of the kingdom. And we battle in our hearts. We battle in our minds. And so Jeremiah goes, I know that our struggle is with what's going on in our hearts. So what Jeremiah is saying about himself in mentioning his inadequacy is true. I cannot do this, he says. I'm just struggling to get through life in general, and now you want me to come and do something supernatural. Oh, God. Eugene Peterson, love this quote. He says, the world is a frightening place. If we are not a little bit scared, we simply do not know what is going on. <laughs> so your excuses, Anchor Church, are plausible. They are valid. Sometimes all we're doing is stating the fact. You may be young. You may be old. You may have no training. You may be in a busy season of life. But yet, with Jeremiah and with us, God still doesn't allow them. He doesn't allow our inadequacies to determine what he wants to do through our lives. He's like, no, I hear you. What you're saying is factually correct, but of no consequence to what I want to do in your life. You know, sometimes we need leaders like this in our lives. I've got a leader like this in my life. His name is Phil Smithhurst. He's the head of Overland Missions. He often speaks here at Anchor Church. But Phil Smithhurst, I mean, he's a visionary. He's an amazing guy, and he's encouraged me greatly in my life. But whenever I go to Phil with some problem in my life, the truth is, and I say this in the most loving way possible, he just doesn't care. He's just not interested in what a little thing I'm struggling with right now, and he doesn't give it any credence. He's not like, oh, shame, come, Adrian. Sit and tell me about all the things that you're struggling with. And you know, we do need people like that as well. That's why people like Peter exist. Peter standing outside there. He is our pastoral care coordinator. And let me tell you, he's a gift. We need people like that. But sometimes we also need people like Phil Smithhurst. I go, sorry, sorry, I wasn't listening. Go on. Move forward. God's got more. You're not done. Stop making excuses. Not going to hear them. God is with you. How many times do we just really need God to say that to us as well? And that's what he does with Jeremiah. What you're saying is true. You're young. You're inexperienced. You can't speak. No consequence. Doesn't matter. This is God's reply. This is how he disallows, disallows the excuse. Jeremiah 1 verse 7, he says, Do not say, I am only a youth. It's true. God says, don't, don't look at that. What do you see? Don't look at that. Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. And here's the crux, for I am with you, declares the Lord. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. He is with you. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. How incredible. Just imagine, back to the mall, the sweatpants, no socks, sneakers. Just imagine God going, sorry, I know you're a boy. I know you're a youth. But he touches the mouth and says, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms 
to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant the kid with sweatpants. This is the call of God. It's a powerful thing. He doesn't choose us because we're qualified or because we have enough life experiences. Our earthly excuses are of no consequence to him. He says, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to look at your inadequacy. I don't want you to mention your excuses. I want you to know that I'm with you. Do you know that this morning, Anchor Church? Do you know that he's with you? Do you know that he has put his hand to your mouth and said, you will speak what I call you to speak. You will fulfill whatever plan I have for your life. I've put my words in your mouth. You'll tear down and you will build up. You will accomplish the fullness of my will for your life because that's what I've chosen to do. This is what it looks like when God's grace impacts your life, when it arrives in full force in your life. You do things according to his strength, according to his grace, according to his presence, and not according to your own capabilities or lack thereof. Not according to your own inadequacies. God says, do not say, I am only. Whatever you want to say after that. How many times do we say, oh, I'm, I'm only a man, I'm only a woman, I'm just human? Yes, you are human. God calls us to be deeply human, but you're not just human. You are a man, you are a woman, but you're not only a man or a woman. There is something supernatural in your life because of the call, because of the grace, and because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. God says to you, do not say it. Don't have that vision of yourself. Understand that he's chosen you. Eight verses later, in verse 18, Jeremiah 1.18, God says, stand at attention while I prepare you for your work. How beautiful. Stand at the ready. Anticipate this thing that I'm gonna do. What am I doing in you right now? I'm preparing you for the work. I really believe that that is a scripture that speaks to me personally, but also to our phase as a church. And maybe it'll be a phase that lasts decades, who knows? But he says, stand at the ready, anchor church. I am preparing you for your work. I'm making you as impregnable as a castle, immovable as a steel post, solid as a concrete block wall. You are a one-man defense system against this culture. I remember when we started out Anchor Church, we were like 16 people, literally. Um, we had like two rand, literally. Um, we had no venue. You know, we were, and, and I felt like, and I, I remember saying to Will and to the other leaders, I feel like a little weed that's trying to grow up through the pavement in New York City, and there's a thousand feet, and at any moment you can be crushed. The word was vulnerability. It just felt so vulnerable. But here we are. Five years later, God's establishing what he wants to establish. He's strengthening what he wants to strengthen. He's building what he's determined to build. And he's going to do it in this community, I have no doubt. But he's going to do it also by building us as individuals. You may feel vulnerable. You may feel yeah, something might come against me. I might not be able to handle it. But somehow we survive. Somehow we progress. Somehow we continue building. Do not say only. He says, I will make you as impregnable as a castle. 
immovable as a steel post, solid as a concrete block wall. When the touch of God is on your life, and it is, you go from being just a youth to a solid concrete wall, to an immovable steel post. God's working in you. He's gonna work in you in 2020. He's working in our church. Philippians 2.13, God says, for it is God who works in you. He works in you, not just for you to do the work, but for you to both will and to do. In other words, he changes the heart and the action that proceeds from that for his good pleasure, according to his will. So what's the next question? What's the next question? You know, God says, this is what I've called you for. God, I'm full of inadequacy. I've, I've got all these things. What, once God says, listen, don't say that. I've got more for you. I am with you. What is the next question that he asks? Jeremiah 1.11, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? What do you see now? Isn't it amazing how once we stop telling God about all the things we cannot do, we're able to begin seeing the things that God wants to do through our lives. His vision for our lives. Jeremiah answers, and I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. You have seen well, I'm watching. God, what, what do you see now, Jeremiah? When you're not so busy making excuses and looking at yourself and raising all your, your objections, what, what are you able to see? And God says, oh, there's an almond branch. Now the almond branch is significant here in its symbolism and it's used in other places of scripture because the almond branch puts forth blossoms before it puts forth leaves. And it's, we've got trees like that in, in our country that, you know, those, those little pink and white blossoms that certain trees produce before it's even got a leaf on it. And it's still like the dead of winter. And it's like, how excited is this tree for spring? You know, it's like still cold fronts rolling in and this tree's like, no, I'm out. I'm ready. I'm, let's go. Spring's coming. It's like a three months away. God uses that significantly in this prophecy, this vision he shows Jeremiah because he says, I'm showing you something that there is a promise that is coming. There is a promise. And, and, and that word for almond, it's actually a play on words in the Hebrew because the word almond is saked, but the word for watching is soked. The A changes to an O, but it sounds very similar. So God says, I'm watching. I'm watching. I'm involved. You know, God has made some promises to your life, and you're like, but when, God? I don't see. You know, we, we don't see Him working, and we, we conclude that He's no longer looking, that He's no longer watching, that He's no longer involved, that He's forgotten about us, that He's inactive. But God says, Jeremiah, I want you to know, no matter what it looks like, no longer how long this winter carries on. The promise of spring is at hand, and I'm watching the spring. I will perform my word. I will fulfill my promise. The, the beauty of those blossoms is not so much the flowers themselves, but the anticipation they express. Are we living in anticipation of what God will do through our church and through our lives? There's a promise that God has made that he will fulfill. He did it with Jesus when he sent him. 
And in our lives, He'll fulfill every promise. He performs what He announces. And God wants us to hold fast to these even when we haven't seen it come to pass. Do not give up and do not compromise. If God asked us as a church, what do you see? The worst thing we can answer is, oh, we see ourselves. We don't know if we're ready. The worst thing we can say is, oh God, you know, there's so many things that we want in life that, you know. God doesn't want us to look at those things. He wants us to see the purpose that He has for us as a church. A singular vision. The promise of God's destiny over this church and over your life. So what does that mean for us as a vision for 2020? It means that we're simply beholding Jesus. Our vision is Jesus, simply Jesus. We don't know how He's going to do it. We we can follow every strategy and formula and plan out there to try and build some big organization. But at the end of the day, we are a spiritual people connected to a spiritual God, and we will wait on Him. We know that there's anticipation. We know He's got promises. But what we're going to do this year is we're going to worship We're going to be diligent to study His Word. We're going to pray. We're going to rest in Him. We're going to trust in His goodness. We're going to walk out our journey with joy. We're going to surrender it all to Him and say, God, you come and do what you want to do when you want to do it. By faith and patience, we inherit the promises. He's the will. He's the one who will cause us to multiply and grow. I heard Francis Chan recently speak on man-made waves versus God waves. Have you ever, any of you ever been to Sun City and gone into the wave pool? You know, the amazing thing about a wave pool is you can switch it on. You know, you'll know like three minutes later, there's a wave. It's going to be four foot high. It's going to carry on until then, and then it's going to die. And for a lot of people, that's how they do church. We're going to switch it on. At 8.30 and again at 10.30, there'll be a little wave during worship and another little wave during the preaching. And we'll all walk out and go, oh, it was a move of God. We're asking for more this year. Don't worry if you think that means long services. I don't think the wave or the move of God needs to be a longer service. It just just means that we want God to come and do something authentic. Move, God. Do what you want to do, God. We're waiting on you. That's our vision. That's our plan. It's so much more fulfilling. God asks Jeremiah again, and I'm almost done this morning. He asks him again, what do you see now? And in Jeremiah 1 verse 13, Jeremiah sees something else. He sees a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. Now hold on a second. We just got the almond branch and the promise and the I can do whatever you tell me to do and you'll deliver me the concrete wall stuff. What is this about? The boiling pot. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all of its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. This boiling pot tipped towards Jerusalem. And these are identified as the armies of Babylon and other nations that are ready and poised to invade Israel as this kettle of war is about to break loose on the land And this was linked to God's judgment of Israel in a moment uh, because of their disobedience, walking away from Him. And and so we're like, what is this? This is negative. There was, you know, there was this positive thing about the almond and the spring and the fruit and the flowers, and now it's a boiling pot. Do you know, even though the, the image is negative, 
the message is positive. You know how amazing it is that before we go through trying times, being in hot water, that God says, you're going to go through hot water. There will be trying moments. There will be difficult times. But here's the thing, and, and we forget this when we're in the midst of it. Sometimes facing a difficult moment in life feels like you're being rolled by a wave. Like you don't know which way is up. It, it's like being lost in a dense fog. This evil is everything and everywhere, and it is boundless. And my whole life will be consumed by the density of this fog. But you know what that vision shows? The evil is limited. It has boundaries. It has a set time. And the reason why God shows Jeremiah this vision is because he wants him to know in the midst of the boiling water, you've seen the almond branch. Some of you are in the middle of hot water right now. You're going through difficult moments right now. God says, don't forget the almond branch. But the boiling water has an incredible cleansing effect. And as Israel is carried off into exile, as we'll see through the rest of the book of Jeremiah, they find their faith in God like never before. This is a part of God making them impregnable as a castle, immovable as a steel post, a solid concrete block wall. I'm yet to meet a person that I thought, this guy is solid. I'm yet to meet that person who hasn't also walked through some difficult things. Because it's in the midst of that that God hardens our resolve and strengthens our faith. There are definitive boundaries to the season that you're in. The fruit is there. The branch is there. And we know that God is faithful in every season. He raises the dead. He fulfills every promise. So we can thank God like the Bible tells us to do in the midst of our pain as we grow closer to Him. Let's stop underestimating God and overestimating evil. Let's hold fast to His promise. Your life is shaped by that vision, just like Jeremiah's was. He wasn't just raised by the promise. If all we had was promise and no difficulty, many of us would become conceited. No, He gives the promise. And then yes, in life, we go through difficult things. But I want you to know that you can be educated by the boiling pot. I sat with a friend this week who having built a company for the last 10 years that's, that's turned tens of millions of rand annually, he sat with me Monday morning saying, I'm gonna lose it all. I'm gonna have to close my business down. I have nothing left. And in that moment, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I said to him, you are in a better place than you have ever been, a better position than you've ever been in your entire life. This is gonna be your greatest season yet because now you're gonna see the faithfulness of God. You know, if there's no problem, there can be no miracle. God does miracles in those moments and we become aware of His grace. This allows us to remain authentic because we're not trying to be something that, we're aren't, that we aren't. We don't have to develop calluses over our sensitivities. We can be both sensitive and strong. And when I started Anchor, as difficult as it was, and things I faced personally, and things we went through through the years, and the criticisms that come, and the things that people say, I remember sitting with a pastor saying, you know what, to be able to do this job, you need to have a thick skin. But my fear is that I would have both a thick skin and a calloused heart. 
And I've seen those pastors. I've seen those Christians that are so hurt and so broken that they, they're actually calloused in their hearts. And I said, how do you, and, I, and I was, this was a passionate, it was an honest question. I said, how do I develop a thick skin while at the same time keeping a soft heart, a sensitive heart? It is a rare thing to be both strong and sensitive. And we can see in the scriptures how strong Jeremiah is, yet so sensitive. It still affects him. When people are lost and when people are, are speaking against him, and these things affect him. How do you do the two? I'll tell you how. The almond branch and the boiling pot. The almond branch and the boiling pot. If we allow ourselves to be raised by the almond branch, the vision of God's word and promise, we will become inwardly responsive and open to the move of the Spirit. If we allow ourselves to be educated by the boiling pot, we will find ourselves able to de deal with dehumanizing evil and depersonalizing intimidation and become impregnable as a castle, immovable as a steel post, solid as a concrete block wall. This is what God says to Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 1.18. Not bad for somebody that started out as just a boy. Only a youth. God wants to do this, I believe, for you this year. As he's going to take your faith and turn it into something more real, more genuine, more dependable, more grounded, more established than anything else you've ever experienced in any other year. And I believe he's doing it for our church as well. He's going to establish us and move us forward. If you allow me five minutes, this is a longer service than normal, um, Vision Sunday. I just wanted to share one or two just exciting things we're going to be looking at. And, you know, starting out every year, you think of what the man-made kind of silver bullet will be. You know, we, we want to lead a great organization. We want to build an awesome team. We want to do amazing things. And so, so often I sit in December and I pray and I'm like, God, like, what is the strategy? And I always feel like I'm going to discover some unthought of strategy and, and it's just going to take us to the next level. And, and there are strategic things that we do as a church to reach people and to reach out. That's part of what we do. Um, but you're so often looking for that silver bullet, the one thing that we can do. But this year, I just felt God just saying, just keep doing what you've been doing. Just keep preaching the gospel, keep reaching people, keep worshiping, keep praying, keep doing what you're doing. And I will come and do what I can do, what only I can do. So this year, our vision is simply Jesus. Simply Jesus. We're going to rest in Him. We're going to trust in Him. We're going to worship Him. And we spoke about our belief that we're going to experience great grace. In Acts 4, it says, With great power they gave testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. That's something we cannot do for ourselves. So we're saying, God, let that great grace work through us. And, and in, in that chapter in Acts, there was generosity, like unseen generosity, you know, innumerable amounts of just salvations and people's lives being changed. Miracles happen. And those are all the things that we believe we're going to see this year. Our heart is to make disciples. Not just people that attend church, but people that are established in their faith. We're going to raise leaders. We've got a big job to do. We need to raise some world-class leaders in this place. And so one of the things we're going to do this year, we mentioned it last year, we weren't, we weren't able to get it off the ground, but we are going to launch the 
um, Leadership Collective at the end of February. Now, Leadership Collective is like the beginnings of a Bible school. It will include uh, theology and uh, bibliology and a few other uh, Bible school courses and things that we'll do throughout the year. There will be a cost involved with that. Pastor Mark Hodgetts will be involved with that um, and, and other teachers and other material. And a lot of those resources cost money. And so there's a cost for that. But if you want to be a part of the Leadership Collective, I'm okay if it's like 10 or 20 people doing this. Because those 10 or 20 people properly trained will change the world, like Jeremiah. So if you want to be a part of that, our community groups is really where discipleship happens. Sunday is great, but I want to encourage you, get a part of, become a part of a community group, lead a community group, and you're also able to sign up for the Leadership Collective. There are tables outside, and you are welcome to go sign up for a community group and also put your name down. Uh, to be a part of the, the Leadership Collective as well. So, so that's one thing we're going to do. The second thing, um, just another thing, is, is youth ministry. We haven't been able to reach those guys with the sweatpants in the mall so, thus far because we haven't had a lot of, we're a young church, we haven't had a lot of teenagers, but more and more we've seen guys come. We know there's a need, and out of that group I know will come some of the, the best leaders this church will ever see, this city will ever see, this nation will ever see. And so um, starting in February, um, every Friday night, 7 p.m., it'll take on the form of a community group to begin with, and, uh, and, and it will progress into whatever God wants it to be. Uh, socials first Friday. If you have a teenager, if you know of a teenager, hey, if you're walking in the mall, stop, chat to them, invite them over. You can also sign up at the community group table for that as well. We're going to expect miracles. We're going to expect miracles this year. I just have this excitement about me that I just feel like God's going to do supernatural things. I was sitting with, with John here on Friday afternoon, and we were chatting, and he was telling me about his daughter and her spine that is crumbling, 22 years old, and the pain of a father praying for his daughter. And honestly, and this might sound strange, I felt like a rush of excitement. And I said to John, bring her. Let's pray for her. Come on, this is a great opportunity for God to do something. In fact, can we just pray for this family right now? Can we just pray for them right now? Let's just put our hands out towards them. Come on. Let's put our hands out towards them. God, we call on you. We know who you are. We know how good you are. We just pray over this family, John and Janine, Gabe, Josh. Lord, we thank you, God, that you love them, that you've purposed them, that you've called them. And we pray for John's daughter right now in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord God, that you reach into that back of hers, that you grab a hold of that spine, Lord, and that you put it together piece by piece. God, that you strengthen every bit of that bone, every bit of the fiber, every bit of the, of the marrow, Lord God, that, that you would just support everything that's surrounding it, the muscles and the ligaments and the sinew and all of it, Lord God. We speak it into life. As Ezekiel spoke over the valley of dry bones, we call those bones to come together now in Jesus' name. And we also pray, God, that you reach into her heart as she suffers and struggles. Show her the almond branch, God. She's seen the boiling pot. Now show her the almond branch. Please, Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a shout of praise for what he's going to do in that situation. One other thing that we think may be what God might want to do, we're not sure but we're asking Him anyway and we're going out there and we're, we're seeing what God wants to do is owning our own building and taking steps towards purchasing, you know, receiving. If anybody has a building they'd like to give, 
Um, but just becoming more and more established in the city. And so we've got another table out there this morning. If you would like to give into this vision, especially considering that it's January, um, or if you would like to even give towards that building, it's not a building fund. We haven't set up a whole thing. It's not, it's, there's no campaign. This is just, if you feel in your heart that we want to start investing in something God wants to do in the future, you can go ahead and, uh, and speak to the guys there. All the details, the banking details are there, and you can mark it. If it is for that, we can mark it for the building fund and put it in our savings account and earmark it for that purpose. But we're just starting to say, can God do that this year? Can He, could He provide us with our own space to be able to reach more people and serve more people in the city? What do you see, Anchor Church? All the reasons why not, why you can't, or is something beginning to flicker inside of you, some flame, some some light that says God's got more and I get to be a part of it. If you want to be a part of our team, third table out there is for joining the team, becoming a part of what we're doing here, serving with us, pioneering with us as we move into the future. Come on, I believe God is going to do miracles, amazing things, great grace in 2020. Come on, can we give him a shout of praise this morning?